0: Friday, April 28th, 2023, 615 AM. My alarm goes off and I wake up. First thing I see is my partner, Haley, standing on my side of the bed. Check your phone, she says. As she disappears into the bathroom, she reminds me that we have 15 minutes before we need to be out. Leery eyed and barely conscious, I roll over, grab my phone off the charger, and see a text message with a single solitary emoji. Unwrap. Now that I am hurtling towards parenthood, today's story from Genesis has taken on fresh meaning. To set the stage, we need to step back a few chapters to Genesis 12, where God appears to Abraham and makes him a promise. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed."
1: Now Abraham is
0: 75 years old at this point. His wife, Sarah, is 65, which some might think is a little late in life to start a nation-building project. But Abraham raises no objections, and when Abraham and his clan finally arrive in this new land, God appears to him again. At this point, Abraham and Sarah still have no children, and Abraham is starting to consider appointing one of his slaves as his heir. That God appears to Abraham a second time to say he should not appoint an heir because one of his own biological children will be the heir. But fast forward a decade, no child has been born in Abraham's household. By this point, Sarah, who is now 75 years old, is fully convinced she will never bear a child of her own. And in a moment of desperation, Sarah gives one of her slave girls named Hagar to Abraham, hoping that Hagar will conceive and give Sarah a child by proxy. And she does. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, grows up in Abraham's house as his only child. For 13 years, everyone in the house, including Abraham and Sarah, believed that Ishmael is the heir God promised. But in a surprising twist, God visits Abraham a third time. And this time, God gets even more specific. Not only will the heir be one of Abraham's biological children, but Sarah who is now 89 years old, will bear this child. God even gives the date. Sarah will give birth to this child in exactly one year at 90 years old. Now, I hope you noticed something in my narration of this story. Each time God appears, God appears exclusively to Abraham, never to Sarah. Now, it may not have been easy for Abraham, but Abraham gets multiple divine visits over the years to get comfortable with the minutiae of the plan. Sarah, on the other hand, only knows two things. Abraham is supposed to have a kid and she can't get pregnant. Sarah has spent more than 25 years resigning herself to the fact that she will never bear a child, the one thing that she, a married woman in a patriarchal society, is supposed to do. For 13 years, she has believed that Ishmael was the heir God promised. In in an essay reflecting on her own experience of infertility, Pastor Rochelle Stackhouse paints a picture of what this might have felt like for Sarah. She says, as the months and years passed, I managed the pain as I built loss upon loss, the injuries inside wounding me into hopelessness starring not only my organs, but my spirit. Who is a woman if she cannot bear a child? In whose image was I created? If all of that is true for Sarah, then what would it matter that she now overhears God saying she would have a child? Why would she believe the word of these messengers over what she knows about her own body? So it's not a surprise to me that she laughs at this news. I would laugh too if I was her. Though I will never understand the physical or spiritual pain of infertility, I do understand what it feels like to be unraveled by hope. On the day I found out I was going to be a dad, a million hopes and dreams flooded my soul. Waking up on Saturday mornings to watch soccer games together, strapping them up in a baby carrier and walking down State Street, pulling them behind me in the of a little bike trailer along the lake. And amidst all of these beautiful and tender hopes, I remember experiencing an immediate visceral sense that in every aspect of my being, I was fundamentally incapable of being a parent. These hands, these ones, they cannot change a diaper, hold a bottle, buckle a car seat, soothe a crying infant. in this world became the most terrifying thing in the world. I came unraveled. And I think this experience of being unraveled by hope is more common than we realize. I think it's so common, in fact, that we intentionally and almost instinctively avoid hope. Keeping my expectations low, we say. Don't get your hopes up. You'll never be disappointed if you never hope, friend. And nowadays, a steady stream of pandemic anxiety, political turmoil, gun violence, war, inaction on climate change has trained us to believe that hope is overrated, foolish, and naive. Many of us do not know how to hope because we so rarely practice it. And yet, as God's people, hope is our inheritance. As we say each week when we gather at the table, God offers us a hope that even death cannot defeat. It is the biggest, most Unraveling hope of all that we are fully known and fully loved by God, that God is actually at work in the world, and that we have a role to play in the story God is writing. Now, the reasonable thing to do. To push this hope, to push all hope away, because it's completely unreasonable. I mean, where is the proof that any of this is true? But as the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and perception. The promise of the gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom that is easily accommodated to everything else. Embrace of this radical gospel requires a and discontinuity. At the table, God invites us to become people who practice hope as terrifying and unraveling as it is. We have to practice it because it is so foreign to our normal way of life challenges everything we know about ourselves and the world after 25 years of living without hope sarah must learn how to hope again and that means everything she knows about herself will need to be unraveled she will have to learn how to believe that her things that she has long believed were impossible. She will have to learn how to live not as a discarded character, but as a main character, the mother of a nation through whom all the world will be blessed. And eventually, she does. Unfortunately, we don't get to see the process, but we do get to see the results of my favorite details of this story is that Isaac, the child born to Sarah, his name means one who laughs. So just as Sarah laughed in the beginning, laughter once again fills their tent, but now it is because of joy, not disbelief. Sarah has been unraveled, but God has made her back together she reclaims her laughter as a joyful response to what God has done. On Sunday, April 30th, 2023, I came to presence, still very much in the midst of my crowd. The music that day is beautiful, as it always is. Right before the blessing, we sang a song called My Hope Is In You. Now I wish I could tell you that I sang that song and my unraveling stopped, and I suddenly felt 100% confident in my capabilities as a parent. But the truth is that I made it about halfway through the song, and then I started cry singing in the back corner of the chapel. Something was shifting within me, but it was going to take a long time To be honest, it still hasn't quite clicked. Some days, I still look down at my hands and think, can I really do this? The first time I changed the diaper, I literally dropped the baby. But those days are fewer now. They're fewer because I'm choosing to lean into the unravel practice hope as a discipline, instead of pushing it away. And so I sing songs of hope, even when I do not believe the words. I buy baby clothes and assemble cribs, even though there is a pretty big part of me that remains convinced this is all an elaborate crime. I let my partner and my friends encourage me when I have nightmares about dropping the baby on its head. And I am learning to trust that in this season, when I cannot even see this little thing that I already love so much, that they are safe and healthy. And when they finally make their appearance in this world, these hands will be ready. Is it foolish? Yes. Unreasonable? Absolutely. Naive? Without question. But this hope is the most beautiful thing I have ever felt. And that is what hope is for. Helping us find beauty in the midst of chaos. The unraveling is never easy. When we're in it, we are confronted with all the things we have come to believe about ourselves and the world, those things which keep us braced against joy and wonder and change. But the good news for us today is that when hope unravels us, God draws near to us. And as the threads are pulled apart God is right there ready to pick up each and every one thanks be to God